0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews.
1: Oh boy, this episode, um, I really, really enjoyed. Now, Dr. Jolene Brighton, um, I've been getting tagged on her stuff for a long time on social media. People keep saying... We need to talk to this person. We need to have her on our show. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, what really motivated me to contact her was when uh, my girlfriend Jessica kept talking about her. She was talking about her information, how good it was. So I looked her up, and I definitely was not let down. Um, she's uh, first off, she's a functional medicine naturopathic doctor. She's the founder of Rubus Health, uh, which is like a women's medical clinic that specializes in women's hormones. And currently, she's recognized as a leading expert in post birth control syndrome and the long term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that particular subject in this episode. Nobody's talking about that, which no. is
2: crazy. Yeah, I'm so glad that, uh, yeah, you, you like Jessica brought her to our attention because, man, she is just a wealth of knowledge in that direction.
1: Yeah, just all about birth control, how it really affects your body. Um, does it, you know, Make your body want to gain body fat, how it affects your libido, when you go off of it, what that's like. uh, That's something that they've coined as post-birth control syndrome. She wrote a book about this called Beyond the Pill, um, and it's actually quite popular right now. A lot of people are are reading it. I'm getting tagged quite a bit. Um, Now, you can find her on Instagram. She has a great Instagram page, at Dr. Jolene Brighton. That's spelled J-O-L-E-N-E-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. Her website is Doctor Brighton. Dot com. Of course, uh, she has a YouTube, Dr. Jolene Brighton, and then the book I talked about uh, is Beyond the Pill. We think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Again, she dives in deep, and uh, we learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, Listen up, men. This is not just for women. No, this was an awesome episode. Before we start it, though, I want to let everybody know that this month, MAPS Strong is 50% off. Now, this is the gym workout that was inspired by strong competitors, strong men and strong women competitors. So if you're bored with your current workout, if you like to get stronger, build muscle, also have lots of stamina and conditioning, and you're bored with the traditional type of workouts, this program is amazing. It's awesome. Um, it's half off. So here's what you got to do. Go to mapsstrong.com, M-A-P-S-S-T-R-O-N-G.com, and use the code STRONG50 for the discount. S-T-R-O-N-G, n g five zero, no space. Um, all right, so that's it. Here we are Let's talking to Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Brighton, this podcast happened for a couple different reasons. One, my girlfriend's a huge fan of yours, uh, loves reading your posts, um, and she pointed me in your direction. And then the second reason is constantly getting tagged Mm -hmm. on your stuff. I've had, I don't know, 30, 40 of our fans DM me at least, and this is over the last like a few months, telling me, you have to get her on the show, have to get her on the show, and I've gone through your stuff, and a lot of the things you talk about, I think, are are absolutely uh, remarkable. In, in particular, I want to talk about what your recent book is about, and I think what you're kind of most known for at the moment, which is health around the birth control pill and what that does to the body and all that. and. Maybe we could start with that. Like, how many women are using birth control? And let's start there, and then we'll take it
3: mm-hmm. Well, when we look at the pill only, that's estimated to be about one hundred million women worldwide. And um, you know, per the surveys that have been done, we've come to understand about ninety eight percent of women have used some form of hormonal birth control at some point in their life, and even if they've just tried it at some point in their life. and, You know, what's sad about this is that the majority of women are now using birth control for symptom management. And why I say it's sad is because there's a lot of opportunity there to help address root cause issues. But it also means they're being dismissed, like they're being passed hormonal birth control with no question as to why are you having these symptoms to begin with?
1: Can we talk about some of those symptoms that women are being prescribed birth control for?
3: Totally. So we see heavy periods, what we call period problems. So like Mm. heavy periods, irregular periods, painful periods, Um, certainly acne. We see issues with headaches, migraines really being met with a hormonal contraceptive. And really the answer in a lot of ways is pretty disrespectful in women's health to say your reproductive system isn't necessary. It's completely negotiable. So let's just give you a medication to shut it down rather than recognizing that the signs, these symptoms are actually directing you towards what is going on. So in a regular period, for instance, that may be due to hypothyroidism. So hypothyroidism is not going to get better with hormonal birth control of any kind. In fact, mm. it can actually make things worse. And the problem is, is that, well, she may have those regular pill bleeds. Those are not actual periods. You know, nobody's checking in on her because those those symptoms are taken care of. So we fix the problem, so to speak. But meanwhile, her tissues are allowed to degrade as she is not receiving ample thyroid hormone. With polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I'm sure you guys, uh, you know, in the fitness arena come across PCOS women Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of times their doctors are like, you just need to lose weight. That's your problem. It's very difficult to lose weight when you're inflamed and you have insulin resistance kind of programmed in you. And we understand that these women also have changes in their gut. So there might actually be something going on in their gut health, which we're going to talk about why birth control is not a good idea for (laughs) for your gut health. But with that. it's a metabolic disorder. It's inflammation and insulin dysregulation and likely gut dysbiosis driving this condition, which can present with hormonal symptoms. And certainly, nobody wants hair falling out of their head or growing on their chin and chest. So I totally feel for these women wanting you know any solution to shut that down. However, if you add birth control into the mix without discussing with this woman that you're at higher risk of infertility, higher risk of heart disease and stroke and, all, and and diabetes. You know, birth control puts you at higher risk for those things as well. Like you didn't do your job as a physician and making sure she had the full story to make the best decision for herself.
0: Mm.
1: Do you think we've been led to believe uh, that birth control is just kind of this symptom-free, side effect-free, benign type of medication and that the only purpose for periods and the only things that we get from this is just, you either get pregnant or you don't. Do you think we've been kind of misled in that direction?
3: Well, and I think like what you said right there is a bit of the issue is that we've been so mm. focused on the bleed and the period when really the main event is ovulation. Mm. Like that is what the entire cycle. And so if we are really gonna start day one of the cycle, it'd be like day one should really be the day that you ovulate. Like that's our prime time. That's the main event, but that's tricky. So when you see blood, it's a little bit easier. And so we categorize that as day one of the menstrual cycle. I think the other issue with it as well, I think that doctors do recognize and we do recognize their symptoms. But the story that plays out is, is that the risk of an unintended pregnancy outweighs the risk that comes with hormonal birth control. And that often, so doctors are not educated about, I certainly wasn't. Many of my colleagues weren't. I have gynecologists, which mad respect to them, reaching out to me saying, oh my God, I never learned any of this and I've been prescribing birth control for decades. Like, thank you so much for making this information available. So they don't know. So when a woman comes to them and says, hey, I'm having these side effects, well- you know, they might even say side effects. They might say, I have these new symptoms. They don't really think that could be a side effect of hormonal birth control because there's a compartmentalization in medicine, which is that, you know, you have lady part problems, you go to the gynecologist, you have tummy troubles, you're going to go to the gastroenterologist. Something's up with your joints, maybe it's autoimmune, let's get you the rheumatologist. And if it's lady hormones, gynecologist, any other hormones, endocrinologist, and at the end of the day, your body doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can compartmentalize all, all day long, but everything is connected. And that's where I think, in that conventional paradigm, things have kind of gone awry in women's health is that they think this reproductive system is negotiable. You can just light switch, turn it on, turn it off, and that those hormones aren't going to impact every system in the body. And when Mm. you start to understand that every single system is impacted by hormonal birth control, it's very easy to see how women present with an array of side effects.
1: Mm. One thing that really fascinated me a long time ago was I read this study that talked about how women's preferences for uh, for like like their mate, in other words, they did a study where they took men's faces and they masculinized them and feminized them um, so same face, slightly more feminine, slightly more masculine and when women were ovulating they were more attracted to the masculine face and when they weren't mm-hmm. They were more attracted to the feminine face, even though the faces were the same and there were were subtle differences. And then I read another study that showed that when women were on birth control and they got married, when they went off, there was a slight uptick in divorce. And this got me thinking, like, uh, it doesn't just affect the fact that you can't get pregnant (laughs) – Kind of affects a lot of different things. Can we t- let's talk about that for a second?
3: Yeah, and you know that's one hypothesis I have of sometimes why women come off of birth control and have difficulty conceiving is it might be a mismatch in their partner. And wow. So mm. I don't have substantial evidence, um, you know, to back this up. So if anybody's like, "Where's the study?" Please go do the study. I would love to see <laughs> yeah. it and know is this true. But this is how it starts. We start asking questions based on observations, and then we get into the research. So with that. Um, we select our mate. You know, there's there's several variables at play, but one of them is the pheromones and the way they smell. So ladies, if you are ever super into the guy at the gym who's like super sweaty and you're like, I just can't get enough of him. That's oh, his, yeah. Yeah, it's his MHC that's complex. Fine. Is that you? All the ladies? <laughs> He's
0: lying. You're yeah. like, I
3: do a squat. The ladies come confident. a
0: running. <laughs> pretty
2: much.
3: Yeah, well, what women are actually picking up on is uh, genetic variations through the MHC complex. Now, this is a protein that presents antigens to your immune system. So basically, is this good? Is this us or is this bad? Should we attack it? Now that MHC is very, very important in terms of like we select that mate and we're selecting someone as opposite as possible from us, genetically speaking, so that our baby gets, you know, basically the buffet of genes to choose from and is the most viable offspring. So Mama Nature's got your back in this. However, when you introduce hormonal birth control. This is where everybody says, ooh, because we tend to select mates who are genetically a little more similar to our cousins, a little more similar to us than. Keep it in
0: the family. (laughs) That's interesting.
3: So there's a part in my book where it's called The Pill and Your Bad Boyfriend. And how many women have written me and said, wow, like understanding about choosing like Nates and how it impacted me, this this explains so much about my first marriage, about my bad boyfriend in college, about why I was so into, you know, I have had women- I tell a story in my book about this girl who was really into this guy. She got on birth control, wasn't into him anymore. And it just kind of yo yoed like that. And we see that birth control alters our brain at the structural level. It also, uh, you know, can impact um, you know, so many things like tryptophan pathway and uh, free radical production and things that can lead to mood shifts, mood changes. And we've also come to understand that we don't pump the brakes when we should in risk taking behavior. We don't have the same fear response within our brain. And as we talk right now, it's 2019. And you know what? No one's been really questioning what happens to the woman's brain when you leave her on birth control for decades at a time. Mm. We've all been told it's safe. Don't worry about it. And say thank you when you have your pill because, you know, you know, pharma gifted this to you. And 100 percent like I did the pill for 10 years. I'm a first generation college student. Super grateful. People are always shocked when they're like, you know, you wrote this book and based on everything you know, would you go back and do it differently? And I'm like, I don't know, because I I did not want to get pregnant. And that's the thing that made the most sense to me. And also like, I was like, I started at seventeen. Like anybody who hangs out with seventeen year olds, like how much information can you give them and them not eye roll at you? (laughs) So I don't know. I'd like to be like, Oh yeah, I'd be so smart. Nah, I don't know about that. Let's be real. But you know, the impact on um, Nate's selection goes both ways as well. So really interesting studies that um, so strippers who are or exotic dancers. I want to be PC about it, but oh, it's just
2: mind pump. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> OK,
3: because when I grew up, that's what we said. It's just like actors, actresses. And now they're all actors. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to get there, guys. Um, but with that. If you're on hormonal birth control, you're an exotic dancer, your tips are going to be a lot lower. And if you're on, yeah. No shit. Crazy, right? So now it's cutting into your bottom line. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: literally.
3: Yeah, literally. Uh, The other interesting thing, though, is that when you're ovulating, you'll actually make more tips. So men actually will tip higher for women who are ovulating. That's, again, them picking up on that scent. There's Mm. also things that happen when we ovulate, like leading up to ovulation, estrogen is rising. No, estrogen is not the devil, but it can be. She's a diva. So if you don't put her in check, she will take over the stage and like it'll be over. But she plumps you up. So fine lines, wrinkles start to go away, breasts are more full, hips are more full, uh lips are more full. That's why like um I'm I'm not currently ovulating, but that's like the ideal <laughs> time for women to be on camera because you're like, I just look so pretty right now. <laughs> um but men pick up on these things. And there have been primate studies about how uh, injecting the females with Depo-Provera, which is one form of birth control, actually, you know, can it influences the male's behavior. So if you inject these females, he, these might be his mates, you inject them, he doesn't want anything to do with them. He selects new mates who are not on birth control. You inject them all and he actually starts to ride the crazy train and is, like, is abusive, is aggressive to himself, to the females. Mm. Wow. And so it has a big impact. And these mm. are the things we're not talking about. We're told we're not supposed to talk about it. We're told that we're anti-women if we talk about it. But we have to talk about it because all of this is going on and we have to understand how this is impacting the entire human race. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty invested in our species surviving. Mm-hmm. I have a small human at home. I'd like to see like him human. thrive. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. Wow. So it's fascinating because I think we start to forget all of those I hate to use the term instinct, but instinctual things that we have in terms of when we're, you know, selecting a mate. And these things we've evolved with mm-hmm. and they've helped us pick and select good genetic mates. And, of course, there's other decisions uh, that need to be involved, not just who you're attracted to. But that's also something that we should mm-hmm. definitely consider. Are there differences? Yeah, we're messing
3: with the gene pool. Yeah. Like- It's potentially, you know, this is not something that we've questioned is like, wait a minute. But if we're all selecting for potentially weaker immune system prodigy, like Mm. what does this mean for autoimmune disease that's rising? What does this mean Mm -hmm. about inflammatory conditions? And it's, you know, it's something that it's a hard conversation to have because. I did the pill for 10 years. I spent a year prepping my body before I had my son. But it's something that like, oh, I don't even want to think about what what decisions I made in my 20s impacted the health of my son in the long run. Mm-hmm. And like, nobody wants, we're not shaming anybody. We're not feeling guilty about it. Okay, ladies. So like, whatever happened, it happened yesterday. Today's an opportunity to move forward and, and do things differently. But it's a big question, right? Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Like, what's actually happening to the genetic what, diversity?
2: What do we know about that? Do we, are, are we starting to connect things with people that have been on birth control for a long time with autoimmune issues?
3: So there is a correlation between women developing autoimmune disease while they're on hormonal birth control. So Mm -hmm. increased rise in multiple sclerosis MS, um, inflammatory bowel disease. In fact, a study came out of Harvard and showed that if you have a family history of Crohn's disease and you're on birth control for five years or more, you have a 300% increased risk of developing Crohn's disease. No joke, right? And so for people who are listening who are like, oh, it's Crohn's disease, it's also through the whole tube, sometimes in your mouth is canker sores, Which, if you're on the pill and you're noticing you're developing new onset of canker sores, you need to go to a gastroenterologist or at least your PCP and get that looked at. That could be a first sign of Crohn's disease, and you can get ulcers all throughout the digestive tract. You become you have malabsorption issues. It's very painful to eat. They can perforate. Then you can end up with a life threatening you know condition in the hospital. So it's it's no joke. And for women who are on birth control, it's very small studies that have been done. But if you have Crohn's disease and you're on birth control, they Estimate that for about like every, I believe it's one out of every eighty-three women will require an additional surgery. So every year that you're on it, you're going to have an additional surgery in your gut.
1: Wow! And here's a speculation I made a long time ago. I'd love to hear your input on this. Uh, We've noticed that now for the last. I think it's five or six decades that the average male's testosterone levels have been dropping. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it has anything to do with the fact that women are selecting men with lower testosterone now as a result of birth control. Oh, that's and if that, if that plays, is playing a role in the lowering of testosterone because it's, it's less valued uh, as, a, you know, as an attractive partner.
3: Totally. I mean, that could be a possibility, especially when you're talking about the study of like, you know, um, I'm such a Game of Thrones fan. So like if you're ovulating Drago, you're going to be like, oh, Drago, like (laughs) I'll be your Khaleesi any day. Um, And and that's like that's that like manly man. And that's not to say like women that like whoever you choose, it's all on you. You can have whatever selection you want to have. But With that, the more feminine face, lower testosterone, right? Mm -hmm. And selecting for that while on hormonal birth control or or not ovulating is a very very interesting thing to raise. But you know what women do like anywhere from 10 to 20 times a day um, while they're taking the pill? Mm. They pee. Mm. And that goes into the water supply. Oh. They also have bowel movements, and they poop, and it's estimated about fifty percent, um, upwards of fifty percent, of that pill can actually make it into the large intestine. Wow! So these things are making it into our water mm. supply. Compounded with the fact that xenoestrogens are everywhere. We have this bad habit as humans of introducing a chemical into the environment and then asking questions decades later of like, oh, what what did that do? Or noticing <laughs> changes and being like, oh, snap. But the person who know this is the worst of it though. The person who notices there's issues, this is how it generally goes. The person who's like, this is a problem. They're usually the ones that they're like, that's a, they're a quack. Stop questioning it. It's fine. This is the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's a real problem because that's another issue is that we talk a lot about at least in my world, xenoestrogens, endocrine disruptors, how those impact women's health overall. And yet this is something that can also equally affect men. And it's something that I have, I mean, I've had um, insurance companies, uh, lab companies, because I will put an ICD-10, a diagnosis code of estrogen excess in a male patient. And the the insurance company or the labs, like this isn't right. This isn't a man's like diagnosis code. We use this in women. I'm Mm. like, yeah, except he has no testosterone and his estrogen is through the roof because of aromatase activity, but also that like he's drinking out of plastic water bottles and microwaving out of plastic and using like this sunscreen. And, and, you know, we think about it less with men because they use less personal care products, but still, I mean, we're all inundated with this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to your point of like, uh, you know, talking about evolution. The thing we forget is that we're all animals. Like I think it's inconvenient. People don't want to think, we want to think like I'm better than a rat. Like, of course we want to think that. Um, but look what's happening to animals. I mean, as it is right now, we're looking at a million species going extinct. Like we are just a little bit higher up on that food chain.
1: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Now, what about uh, side effects? Uh, these are the questions that we get all the time. Like how does birth control affect my ability to build muscle, burn body fat. How should, should I change my diet? Like what should I do in terms of my fitness and you know, my aesthetic mm-hmm. goals?
3: Yeah. I mean, birth control can 100% sabotage your fitness okay. goals. And we we can talk about a few mechanisms of that. But one big one is that women need testosterone. So we've been talking about like no hormone is bad and we've all got them, uh, you know, just based on male and female, we've got them in different ratios. And so with that, Testosterone is really important for a lot of things. So automatically everybody's mind, I know your mind just went there, uh, <laughs> went to libido. <laughs> That's the first place we go. We're like, libido, it's everything. It is everything. You do know
2: me. Called <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <Yeah. laughs>
3: I know. People on YouTube are going to be like, that moment just happened. You saw it
2: so, in your face. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt it. Yeah, like, was, he was like, <laughs> I heard like
3: Marvin Gaye playing over there. And I was like, see hey, you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so, you know, but with that, okay. So like, let me say this though. Libido is... Is a sign of vitality. And women who have a low libido, they usually have something going on. Maybe it's that bad boyfriend. It could be that, but it may also be a hormone imbalance because. Again, we're animals and we want to procreate and having a libido is part of that. So this is why women lose their libido on hormonal birth control. It down regulates Mm. the production of testosterone by as much as 50% and it alters your liver at the genetic level so that you express more sex hormone binding globulin. That is a protein that gobbles up your testosterone. Now, this is not because your body's dumb or betraying you or you need another pharmaceutical. This is your body protecting you because how does the pill work? It is a high enough dose. So this is where I always giggle when people are like, well, my doctor said it's low dose. Yeah, compared to the 1950s trials that killed women. Yes, mm-hmm. it comparatively speaking. However, it's still a high enough dose that you take it orally. It passes through your liver. So this is what we call first pass of medication. Your liver gets a chance at trying to break it down. But it's still high enough that it shuts down brain ovarian communication. So it's still high enough to do its job, which is shutting down your ovulation and your ovarian function. So in that, your body knows this is way too much estrogen that I should be dealing with. So let's increase sex hormone binding globulin so that we stay safe. So So that that we don't
1: procreate. We don't mate.
3: Well, the uh, sex hormone binding globulin grabs on to excess estrogen. So only free hormones can stimulate Mm. tissues. And so this keeps you from overstimulation of estrogen. So again, your body's really smart. But this is an epigenetic variation that can cause your genes to express proteins differently. This sex hormone binding globulin goes up while you're on birth control. Then the researchers tested women after the fact what they found and what they concluded is that it never returns to the state of a woman who never used hormonal birth control. Never? Never. Wow. Yeah. And so I will say that they haven't done long-term studies on this. And clinically, I I have been able to help women bring down their sex hormone binding globulin and get their libido back. The whole protocol is in beyond the pill Mm. because it's all about epigenetics and how you are signaling to your liver and clearing up the whole system that puts estrogen in check.
2: Now, does the length of time that you're on it matter in terms of like how, you know, you can recover and get back to that like natural state?
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting thing is that it seems to be in all the research I've read is that six months tends to be the sweet spot. Now, I've definitely talked to women who used it for five days, had new onset of panic attacks. It didn't go away when they stopped. And so, you know, those are a little bit of our outliers. And it's what we need to we need to start our like we need to start asking, why is it true for for one woman and not another and stop arguing about whether or not women are telling the truth like and we'll talk more about depression that's a big area where women get dismissed a lot even though it's on the package insert of these pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. so we're talking about body composition and so. If hormonal birth control drops your production of testosterone and your ability to have free testosterone stimulate your tissues, you will see a decline in muscle mass. You can also see that you're crying all the time. You're not motivated. You lose your kick ass edge and you don't have energy throughout the day. Those are symptoms of low testosterone. We need testosterone just like we need estrogen and progesterone in our brain to keep it healthy and young and uh, neuroplasticity going so we can learn new things. So with that, if your testosterone drops, now you're not going to get muscle cell stimulation in the same. Way. And estrogen and fat cells are besties. So your fat cells love to make estrogen and estrogen comes in and is like, you're doing such a good job. Let me stimulate you a little bit more. So you plump up and you get a little bit fatter. Um, and so that can affect the adipocytes. And then we see that muscle mass starts declining. Now my graduate research in nutrition was on sarcopenic obesity. So this is a topic where I don't mess around with because I'm like, and for people who don't know what that is, um, think about the MM guy. Okay. The round m M&M body and the little arms. And I think that's still a thing. Yeah. Like, I actually, We've yeah, never yeah. owned a TV. And um, yeah. so I'm like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> pretty that's still recent, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you've you've seen people like that. Mm-hmm. That's sarcopenic obesity. They're losing their muscle mass. They are deleting muscle cells, replacing it with fat, infiltrating their organs. Now we've got a big problem because that's setting you up for increased morbidity and mortality. You're going to get disease and you're going to die. And nobody wants any of that business. So we've got the impact of testosterone. Yes, that can shift our body composition. We know that in general. Like why is it athletes are not allowed to use testosterone? Right. It can help. Um, it can definitely increase. Your edge. Now, the other thing that has been observed about birth control is that uh, very much that narrative of like periods make you the lesser, having a menstrual cycle is a burden, has played out in sports. I'm hitting my mic. Sorry, yeah, no sorry guys. <laughs> um, and it's played out in sports to where they thought, well, the solution is is just control her with hormonal birth control. Then she never has a down day. Can always always perform turns out that's not totally true. And in fact, being on hormonal birth control, some women fatigue faster. They actually, so the endurance athletes lose their endurance edge, like lifting, they find that their threshold of failure is coming a lot quicker than what they expected before. And so that's just one way it can impact body composition. Mm -hmm. Now we hear often that there is no correlation between birth control and weight gain. And what's really interesting uh, about this is when you get into research, what you come to understand is all they did is they took all the women in the trial, added up their weight. So what was the change? Some lost weight, some gained up to 70 pounds. And then they just said, okay, divided by the number of women, okay, on average, it's a five to 10 pound weight gain. Mm. That's not significant. I'm like, I'm not even 5'5". If I put on 10 pounds, it's significant. Like you're gonna know it. So it depends on that woman's body. But also- what is up with the woman who gained 60 pounds? Like, and if you had women losing weight, why was that? A lot of them get nauseous. They, they can't eat. Like, other things are going on. And so, with that, the question is really like, what is true for this woman? Sometimes the weight gain is because birth control is inflammatory, which will cause us to hold on to water weight, which is why if a woman comes off, she's like, I lost three pounds immediately, water, water. weight. Like, mm. that's water weight. But there's other women who come off and they find, they struggle. They struggle to build muscle mass. They struggle to lose weight. They feel like, you know, they're eating less, they're moving more, they're gaining more weight, they're doing everything right. And I very much think this comes down to mitochondrial function because the population I see it impacts the most are perimenopausal women. So mitochondria for people listening are the powerhouses of your cell. They generate your energy so that like, and this is why we rest between sets. So when you lift weights, you rest, your mitochondria kind of regenerate, refuel, make that ATP, Hormonal birth control depletes key nutrients that mitochondrial need; those mitochondrial organisms need to actually do their job right, like CoQ10. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that's interesting is that um, evolutionary spectrum. We have those organelles; so the mitochondria are actually bacteria. And hormonal birth control's impact on the microbiome has been compared to antibiotics in mm-hmm. terms of like how it decimates the microbiome. I mean, can you imagine you're on a medication? We know the microbiome's everything now. In the 1950s, we did not. In the 1960s, when the pill stepped on the scene, didn't totally understand that. But we do understand now that if a bacteria in your gut is killed by an antibiotic, mitochondria, it's a toxin to mitochondria as well. So if hormonal birth control can kill bacteria in your gut, it therefore could be a toxin to mitochondrial health as well. In mitochondria, yes, they live in your muscles, but they're also concentrated in your brain and your ovaries. And this is important for protecting your eggs. So this could be part of how birth control can contribute, not cause fertility issues Um, after you come off is that you are making less CoQ10 because you're getting older and you've depleted it. So your mitochondria are not protecting your eggs the way that they should be. And this also calls into question, why are women at the highest risk of Alzheimer's and dementia? Like, why have we not questioned the role of hormonal birth control in that? When we know that 100 million women worldwide are taking it, 66% of the Alzheimer's patients are females, it's time we start questioning this. And there are female researchers who are just starting to get into this, but I'm like, man, it is 2019, in the 1960s, women were taking this, only if you were married could you get it. Mm. Uh, in the 1970s, it finally became accessible to all women. And yet now we're just now being like, oh, wait a minute. Could it actually be doing something to these mm-hmm. women long-term?
2: So now now that we've scared the shit out of everybody that's taking birth control. <laughs> oh God, no, <laughs> shut up.
3: <laughs> you guys have to slow my role on that. No, no, <laughs> no,
2: no, no. It's 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 like now I'd like to talk to you about like, you know, what are, what are some of the... Um, You know, what are the steps that you when you get somebody who comes in and they're curious, like, yeah, I'm listening to this show right now uh, and I'm taking birth control. I obviously wouldn't. I'm pretending I'm a female right now. I'm taking birth control and I'm concerned. What are some of the things that I can do potentially to either one, mitigate some of these potential side effects or look out for them? Like what what are some of the things? What are the options out there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: totally. Yeah, because if you don't want a baby you got to do something not to have that baby. Right, right. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, first things first. Like if you're on hormonal birth control of any kind for whatever reason, that doesn't make you an idiot, a bad person or any of these things. And I say that because I'll see on social media where people are like, you're using birth control because you have painful periods. That's so dumb. And like, Mm. shame, shame, shame. And it's like, you don't know her. What if she has endometriosis? Like, she could be vomiting half of the month and not able to leave the house. Like, there is a time and a place for birth control. And it's not up for me or anyone else to decide. This is a decision that woman has to make with the caveat that like, if there are like stroke risk factors and things like that, then we got to shut it down. But In Beyond the Pill, this is what I really aim to do. If you're on hormonal birth control, I got your back. If you wanna come off of it, I want you to know there is life beyond birth control. Like there are things you can do to transition off without being afraid. And if you have symptoms going on, there are solutions beyond birth control. I know you can always go get birth control. So let's give you alternatives as well and also give you the full story so that if you start birth control, you know what labs to test, when to talk to your doctor, what symptoms to look out for and how to reduce those side effects. And it's the funny thing because because people who haven't read the book will make a comment of like, I bet Big Pharma hates you. I bet Bayer hates you. And I'm like, why would they hate me? I'm actually like helping women lower the side effect risk. And like, mm-hmm. I'm making happier customers. <laughs> like, yeah. This is like, no, there's no. And it isn't us versus them. Because people will be like, you're obviously anti-pharmaceuticals. I'm like... I'm hypothyroid and I take a thyroid medication every day and I'm super grateful that pharmaceutical companies exist so that we can have those tools for the time and the place. So if you're on hormonal birth control right now, what do you need to do? Number one is replenish nutrient stores for sure. So you need to be on a prenatal or a multivitamin of uh, some kind, most preferably with activated B vitamins. It needs to have magnesium, selenium, zinc, these things that hormonal birth control are depleting. You cannot out-diet hormonal birth control depletions just like any other medication depletion. You cannot out-diet it. Should you try? Absolutely. So what do I mean by that? Like we have to get the diet dialed in, but understand that if you're on a medication that's causing you to lose these nutrients, you need to bring in some kind of supplement form to help replenish. Uh, this. Now,
2: that being said, are there are there diets that you are just not a fan of because of that? Like, are there specific, for example, you know, right now, the biggest diet is ketogenic diet in the yeah. last year. Are there certain diets that uh, that raise a flag for you and say, you know, that's probably not something you should be doing because you're on birth control?
3: Yeah. So I don't like to do diet dogma um, and because I don't believe there's a one size fits all for everybody for their whole life. That's a very important thing to understand is that especially as women, if you get pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, if you're menopausal menopausal like th- we have different needs at those times in our life um, the recent carnivore diet probably not the best mm-hmm. idea for women uh, if you're eating beef heart you can get your CoQ10 back in um, and actually I will say that like 25% you can go to the butcher get ask them to do 25% grass-fed beef heart ground with 75% grass-fed beef and make a hamburger out of it it's like the best hamburger you'll ever have it's so good and it'll be loaded with CoQ10 as well awesome. so it's got that benefit Um, But with that, we need to be fueling detoxification. So we've got to support the liver. So I talked about not only the genetic level, but... um, Also at the structural level, um, with the introduction of hormonal birth control, women who are on the pill have higher incidences of liver tumors, which researchers are like, they're benign, so that's great. They're not cancerous, but they're prone to rupture and they get pretty big, and your liver is having a lot of blood flow through it. So that's Mm. no joke. And in addition, you just lost part of your structure. Like your liver does so much for you, like love your liver every day. And so why I'd say not the carnivore diet is because we need to be bringing in cruciferous vegetables while we are on hormonal birth control and really women as a whole need to be eating cruciferous vegetables broccoli kale uh, cauliflower uh, cabbage if you don't tolerate those. So for women listening who are like, I have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or I eat those, I get gas, bloating. You want to default to sprouts. So broccoli sprouts, kale sprouts, just sprout. Uh, for my college peeps out there, um, people always write me. They're like, I'm a poor college student. I'm like, oh, I did that for ten years. I totally feel you. And then student loans got me. So I'm still doing it um, in a lot <laughs> of ways. So, but with that, I'm like, if you got paper towels and Amazon Prime, and they can ship you organic broccoli seeds, you can actually sprout those in your window sill oh, and shit. eat them. Like super easy to do. And sprouts actually win in the research in terms of supporting estrogen detoxification and supporting your liver, giving the nutrients it needs to get that estrogen out and and really process all your hormones, environmental toxins as well. Doctor Brighton, is
1: it is yeah. it the uh, indole three carbonyl that's in? Yeah,
3: that okay. then gets um, converted to DIM. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. So would supplementing with that be okay as well? Or?
3: Oh yeah. Okay. So okay. yeah. So my uh, balance formulation actually has DIM in it and broccoli okay. seed extract as well. Um, I keep it at a lower dose. Uh, I've just had somebody recently be like, "Oh, I was taking seven hundred milligrams a day and having headaches." So I'm like, "Yeah, that's a little bit much on that." Um, it's. Just very important point that you bring that up though, because DIM is super, super helpful with that estrogen metabolism and supporting liver detoxification. However, I'm telling you right now, you need to eat your broccoli sprouts, you need to eat these cruciferous vegetables. If you don't chew it, or you don't have ample stomach acid, you won't actually convert in, into DIM, So okay. you won't get it there. So what can you do? Take a shot of apple cider vinegar before you eat your meals. That can oh, help. Okay. Um, but if you are somebody who experiences heartburn and you're on hormonal birth control, please get it checked out. It could be imbalances in gut flora. It could, also could be your first sign of hypothyroidism because without ample thyroid hormone, we don't make hydrochloric acid. And mm. most of the time, if you've got heartburn, it's because your stomach acid's too low. So um, the apple cider vinegar though, quick and easy trick to try to get that stomach acid up to be able to make that conversion. So um, we were talking about the diet. So that's why like, I, I and you know, like I, I'm somebody who always holds space for curiosity. I mean, that's really how science operates. And maybe the carnivore diet will be like something where it's like, whoa, actually cycling out of that. Like we see that women often cycle in and out of keto. It's better. It, it, they, they do better in that way. Yeah. Um, And we have to remember that, most research is done on men and then they just say apply it to women. And the mm. keto diet is one of those things that it's like most of the research was done in children. When I first learned about a keto diet, it was for controlling epilepsy and it works well, like really well for neurological health. So, you know, if I had a woman, you know, say that's coming off of birth control, she's, you know, 48, she's having brain fog, family history of Alzheimer's, dementia, of low bowel sounds. So, um, for women listening, if your doctor isn't listening to your tummy, make sure they do that because the absence of Bowel sounds that can be degeneration of your nervous system, and that can hmm. be early signs that you're going to have neurological degeneration Whoa, as wow. well.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah,
3: oh. Like an That's early crazy. sign of Alzheimer's everybody like... just looked at I'm me like.
1: All yeah, I feel like Justin's never going to have neurological. I'm going to stick the sounds. microphone to it? Let's yeah, let's
2: let's talk. keep going this direction. I like going uh, through the the diets and some of the things to look out for. Yeah, like totally. let's get let's get into another popular one, like vegans. What do you see with that?
3: Yeah, uh you know. Vegan is a is a tough one. And it is something that like I've worked with lots of vegan patients. And the thing that like I started this, I don't do diet dogma. So like if and I was a vegetarian for 10 years and that was like my identity until I became iron deficient uh, anemic because I had a copper IUD. My periods were too heavy. Mm. And my doctor was like, you know, recommending iron sulfate, which is terrible and will constipate you. Ladies, don't use that. (laughs) Don't use that form. But they were like, you have to take three hundred twenty five milligrams of this iron sulfate every day. And I'm like, but what I'm hearing is my diet's not working. And they were like, yeah, but you're a vegetarian. We wouldn't ask you to eat meat. And I was a vegetarian, but also a nutritional biochemist. And I'm like, I have always been a food per- first person. And it was hard for me to swallow and to handle that like, oh my God, my diet's not working for me. And I thought I was doing a really good, healthy thing. And I introduced, and I actually started it with, um, Buffalo and then organ meat. Oh my God, that was hard. Wow.
1: You went from vegan to organ meat. No, I was
3: vegetarian. Um, so I, yeah. And I was lacto-ovo vegetarian for people who like their labels. Um, get specific (laughs) with that. Um, so with that though, with vegans, the thing I say to people is like, look, what, whatever you want to decide it's your body it's your life but you you know if you're my patient you have to be in a place where we can hold space to have the dialogue that if your diet's not working for you if your labs are showing me your symptoms aren't showing we we've, we've got to be able to have that discussion and if you decide that like you don't care and you're going to stay vegan and you want to take all these supplements and do all these things that's that's fine and it's something that um let me say this though um i think this is one of the mind-blowing things that uh people read in my book and i don't It's very interesting that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize people didn't know that. But of course, why would people just know this? Women and men, but women especially, rely on their natural estrogen to make the conversion of the plant-based omegas into EPA and DHA. Uh Now, we suck at this altogether, okay? We are highly inefficient as mammals in our ability to do this, but we need our natural estrogen to make that conversion if you are on hormonal birth control, you do not have the estrogen to make that conversion. You're going to need a fish oil or a animal-based omega-3 fatty acid. And I've had people say, well, what if I just take algae? And if you are vegan who's doing it for the planet, And you compare how many algae capsules you have to take to a fish oil capsule. By the way, I only advocate for sustainable fishing practices, um, screening, third-party screening of fish oil. You make sure there's no heavy metals, PCBs, any of that stuff. It's gotta be on the up and up. But however- if you are going to match that dose of two capsules, like we're talking about some people, you know, therapeutically, they may be going through three or more bottles a day. Now, how much plastic well, did we just put in the environment? Mm-hmm. Because right. And so this is the thing. Like, mm. these are ethical dilemmas. And what does that mean when it's an ethical question? There's really no right answer. Like, you've got and like you and we've got to have a discussion. Out. Totally. Mm-hmm, yeah. So with a vegan diet, something that many of us clinicians who work with autoimmune patients have come to observe is that there is a high correlation between a vegan diet and autoimmunity. It may be because they lean on grains and soy a little bit more for protein. Not everybody does that. It may be that. Um, It may be that the things that they're eating actually lend themselves to intestinal hyperpermeability and are inflammatory. It may be because they're not getting enough nutrients coming in I mean, it could be all of those things as well. And so this is something that like when I approach the conversation, like you're gonna do what you're gonna do, but you still need to have this information and understand that like you may need to choose differently while you're in a healing phase. And like some people are very passionate about their veganism. And I've talked about how I've had patients who are like, I'm going to eat collagen. Like I'm in I'm going to do this. I you know, I still identify as vegan. I'm going to do this temporarily. I'm healing my gut. I feel like this is going to be the best thing for me. We support them in that. And people are like, "Well, then they're not a true vegan." And it's like, "Or they were in a healing phase." Just like, you know, when you're in a healing phase, you might not go out with your friends and you might be sleeping. And that does that mean that you're antisocial and you hate people? No. It might mm-hmm. just means you're in a healing phase. You have to do things different for a period of time. But really um you know, my favorite quote, I think I say this like 10 times a day is Albert Einstein, which is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different outcomes. And so if you're someone listening to this right now and you're like, I'm eating the same diet over and over and I'm, and like I'm not things aren't changing, it might be time to rethink that. And I'd also frame it that it doesn't matter what the diet is labeled everybody can be eating a standard American diet in terms of the lack of nutrients and it being a bunch of processed food. And, you know, whenever I go through the frozen food section, which is usually me skipping, skipping lines and trying to get out of the grocery Mm -hmm. store, but I'm always blown away by the number of packaged vegan products. And so
1: highly processed,
3: highly processed, highly processed. And to that, so if you're vegan, you're vegetarian, you're keto, you're whatever, most of your food shouldn't be in a package. And like, if you do need grab and go stuff, then it's gotta be on the up and up and you've gotta really be evaluating it because- you could be eating a vegan diet, and you're thinking, "I'm doing a really good thing because I am, you know, cutting out all these animal proteins. Therefore, it's good for my health." But then you're eating, you know, tofurkey and fake chicken and fake bacon. To that, I'm like, "Why don't you just eat the real stuff if you're if you're jonesing for it that hard?" But the same is true, you know, for any other diet is out there. Is that you know people will think I'm eating paleo. That's healthy. Now they're buying all the paleo packaged stuff. I'm eating gluten free. I love it when my patients are like, "So." So I went gluten free and now I've been having like my morning muffins and I'm eating cookies and I'm like would you have eaten that otherwise <laughs> well no but it's gluten free I'm like oh snap marketing got you okay we gotta <laughs> I should have I should have educated you on that but this is an opportunity for education and that's really what it is when we have these hiccups it's an opportunity for education it's not shaming you not telling you you did something wrong like I mean geez like we've all done dumb at some point and it's incredibly instrumental in us learning I mean I would I have my son he's six and I'm like you You please like learn the easy way because as my as your mom, it hurts to watch you learn the hard way. And then he falls off something, and I'm like, oh, it's like you you just must. (laughs) This is what humans do. (laughs) Doctor Brighton, you
1: you brought up a couple times the depletion of CoQ10, Mm -hmm. which I know is a, a nutrient that's imperative for, among other things, heart health. Yeah, and I know that statins also deplete CoQ10. What happens when you have women who are on both birth control and statins?
3: Oh, that's such a good question. Because when you get into the reversing metabolic mayhem chapter of my book, I talk about how hyperlipidemia and birth control go hand in hand so we see wow. drop in hdl rise in ldl so bad cholesterol and um triglycerides now understand this like since the 90s we've known cholesterol is not bad and i still just eye roll when people are like don't eat coconut don't oil don't eat butter don't eat this and that i'm just like whenever people are like butter is back i am i just play L cool j in my head don't call it a comeback <laughs> like i've been here for years I, 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 like, yeah, uh, yeah you know yeah. that jam I, 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 Got oh, you. I yeah. love that song. I love LL. If you're listening, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'm, of course, he is. Like, what else is he gonna be doing? He's like, oh, Dr. Brayton's back on. I gotta get in on that. <laughs> He's gonna talk about lady parts. That's all of all yeah. of us. Oh, that's hilarious. So, um, with that. Um, This goes back to the liver. We generate cholesterol in our liver. So your liver's taking a hit. Your liver takes one for the team while you're on hormonal birth control. And so we see elevations in cholesterol. Now, we've known since the 90s cholesterol is not bad no women. In fact, this is how you build your hormones. However, cholesterol, when there's inflammation, that's where we get into trouble. Mm. And that's where we get plaques in our heart and they can become disrupted. It's not uh, your your immune system. I'm not going to nerd out too much, but it gobbles up that LDL and makes these little foamy plaques in your blood vessels. So That's a really bad thing. And so then your doctor comes in and says, well, You're on, you know, they don't even care that you're on birth control. They're like, you have elevated lipids. Let's give you a statin. So now we know that statins degenerate your brain. Like, well, I don't know that I can say they degenerate your brain, but they they ain't doing you any favors. And so now we've got further depletion of CoQ10 hormonal birth control is inflammatory. So if it's inflammatory and it raises the your cholesterol, that's a potential for cardiovascular risk right there. So, okay, well, we're leaving women on it for decades, but also we're putting PCOS women on it who are already at higher risk for these things. So we have to keep that in mind of like, who's the individual in front of us and who are we acti- actually prescribing this to? So yes, the statins can be an issue. Metformin's another. So hormonal birth control can cause insulin resistance. And in fact, if you've, been on hormonal birth control. So to your point of like, when does stuff get bad? Six months or more in your entire life. When you enter into menopause, you're 35% more likely to develop diabetes. 35%. Mm. 35, right? It's Mm. crazy. So with that, metformin is often a drug of choice to help with this. And, you know, having high blood sugar is not a good thing. Like, you like your liver, your kidney, or your eyes, your kidneys, you know, your these major organs keep them healthy. However, metformin depletes B12, also depleted by hormonal birth control. Now she has brain fog, and, like, she's, you know, having, like, she's forgetting where she put her keys, and people are like, you're just getting old. No, that's a B12 deficiency. Wow. B12 deficiency hmm. can present like dementia, so we have to be looking at that. And what's interesting is that when I've talked with pharmacists, this was really eye-opening for me, is that pharmacists who are just handing out drugs all day, and yes, birth control is a drug, um, they're like, when we pass women that birth control pill, We know it's a matter of time until she comes back with a thyroid medication, with an antidepressant medication or with a proton pump inhibitor because of gastrointestinal upset. So they see this and they've been seeing this for decades that once and and this kind of how it goes with medications is once you start one, then we've got side effects. Here comes the other Mm -hmm. and here comes the other. And there's a lot of things that we can do that I go through and beyond the pill that like if you're on birth control now and and here's the thing I really aim to do in my book and if I did my job right you will not feel afraid the entire time through it you'll have moments where you're like oh my god pr- trust me I've been there when I'm reading the research but <clears throat> I go problem solution problem solution so if I present you with a problem we've got immediate solutions following it up because I hate reading 200 pages of the book uh, of a book and having the bejesus scared out of me and then being like and now you need to read another 100 pages <laughs> to know <laughs> yeah. what to do and I'm like um, my publisher so I designed the book so it's like you take a quiz in chapter one to identify your hormone imbalance and then immediately it's like, just go to this page and start this protocol now. You can read it from front to back, but it's also designed to get in and get out. And um, Mm -hmm. my publishers who are always looking out for the reader experience and of course, like they're literary peeps. They want to like, they want you to read the whole book and they're like, well, like, you know, we want want women to read the whole book and for it to be a journey. And I'm like, look, if you have estrogen dominance, you are irritable, you are inflamed, Mm -hmm. like you ain't feeling right. Mm -hmm. uh, And you, I tell you, you, you have estrogen dominance. Now read 200 pages and I'll yeah, give you a Let me tell solution. you my
2: story. And I'm <laughs> like, they
3: will rip the book in half. They will curse my name. They will probably like hire a witch to like hex me and like throw the book across the room. And so I'm very much about like, if I present you a problem, we go immediately into solutions. So in the metabolic mayhem chapter, we talk about how to drop inflammation, like bringing turmeric on board. It affects the NF-kappa B pathway. It supports phase two liver detoxification. It's been shown to be helpful for brain health. It's great for your gut health. You can grate it straight. So like a grater, um, straight into like, I love turmeric eggs. That's my favorite. I just grate it straight into the pan. Oh, good. Then you get fibers. Those feed the microbiome. That's the other thing, like eating more vegetables. You feed the microbiome, which is reinforcing the terrain. Those little gut bugs help you get your estrogen out. So you want them working optimally. If they're not, you can actually have estrogen dominance. So, you know, in that, with the metabolic mayhem, if you're listening to this now and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. No, no, no. Get beyond the pill. Check out the lab test. Do the quizzes in there for family history. Like, are you at risk for a stroke? Are you at risk for a heart attack? I even present in there what it looks like for a woman to have a heart attack because we die at higher rates than men do from heart attacks because we're dismissed, because we don't present the same way. So often we get told things like, you're just stressed out. You need to go take a yoga class and then you go home and you die. And that's lame. So I wanted women to know. That's
2: <laughs> a great voice. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I, like I don't that. know so what it is. Okay. Nails the yogi right there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I, I, I actually worked my way through college as a yoga instructor, a group fitness instructor. But also there's something about these mics. I call these like sexy mics where it's just like, you sound so smooth. They, <laughs> it makes me want to talk Slow that way. Jams. <laughs> yeah. Slow jams. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I secretly always wanted to be a dj so this is like my opportunity oh, right awesome. now yeah, you're natural busting yeah. out l cool j giving the sexy voice talk like- so <laughs> dr
2: Bright, what what sent you down this this path? Like, what made you even want to get into this field? Like, what, how did you get into this?
3: Oh, yeah. You know, what's crazy is I was going to be a gut doc because as a kid, I had significant gastrointestinal issues. In fact, I was diagnosed with uh, inflammation in my stomach when I was very young. And I struggled for about 10 years, and doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I was on PPIs before they were actually ever tested in kids, like all kinds of stuff that I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> um, and, you know, I it finally got to the point where doctors were giving up on me and they were like, yeah, know, you know, you don't, we think that you're attention seeking, like you don't actually have anything wow. going on. And it was when H. pylori was discovered and finally the research made it into medical practices that a doctor said to me, you know, there's this new bacteria, like we should test you for it. And there it was. And so... With that, once I was treated, I was like, well, should I change my diet? And he was like, no, (laughs) don't worry about that. That's how old I am, you guys. Um, And so with that, I did end up changing my diet. That's how I got into nutrition. I was like, wait. Wait. If I don't eat a bunch of refined carbs with like drinking orange juice and, you know, having tomato sauce and all of that, like I don't actually have heartburn. So like I can actually modify my diet. Stop eating crap. What a novel idea, Um, which actually is an acronym (laughs) and that stands for things that cause heartburn. But um, and that propelled me into nutrition. And it was once I got into so I was actually going to go get my Ph.D. at Davis at a full ride scholarship. I was going to be a researcher until I realized that, like, I I much I very much wanted to make sure that stuff was getting into people's hands real time, not like decades of us researching and then begging medical professionals to actually like look at their research or get it presented at a conference. So when I was in athletic school, I was still in the Pell, and I made an observed observation early on that most of women's health is done to them not with them. Like they're not an active participant. It's just like mm-hmm. and you guys have never had this experience, but it's just let me just tell you how fun it is to be naked from the waist down laying on a table and someone smacks your butt and says scoot down, scoot down, scoot down while your feet are in stirrups and then here comes this metal speculum. It is not fun. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody wants anything to do with that. And um and what makes that experience so bad is that you're just like it's just like your body is in the way. Like they're just trying to get at things instead of explaining things to you and working with you. And there's a lot of really great doctors out there who are the ones who showed me that like there's a different way. It was so different from my experience of going to the gynecologist and how I was being taught. So that propelled me into women's health. And in my first year of school is the very first time, this is like why the book has a whole chapter on the lowdown on your hormones, how your menstrual cycle works, all of this, is because it wasn't until my first year of medical school I actually understood how my menstrual cycle worked and that I could only get pregnant one day out of the month. Like you shouldn't have to go to medical school to know how your body works. Yeah. Like that was something, and then I was pissed because I was like, I've been popping this pill every single day, and yet I can. I'm only fertile one day out of the month, which is you know to your point of like, what are alternatives? Fertility awareness method can be mm. one alternative. Mm-hmm. And I was actually blown away when I got into the research because I was taught and then I perpetuated this myth that like fam was just not going to work. Like it didn't work. And it's like, ha ha, you're going to get pregnant. And the bad jokes that go with that, when you get into research, you're like, oh snap, it's like 99% effective when done perfectly, which is the same as birth control pills. Mm. And the pill is actually only 91% effective with typical use, which is how women tend to use it. These Those were big ahas for me. But with this, when I kicked the pill, when I finally decided to ditch it, I just stopped. And for the first time in my life, I lost my period altogether, which was a shock for me. I had doomsday periods that I counted down on the calendar because they were so heavy and so painful that I was like, my, my life's going to be ruined one day out of the month. So I knew that they came regularly and I had about three years of consistent periods, started the pill, 10 years later, come off lose my period altogether and I got cystic acne and I'd not had acne issues before and I had like a beard of cystic acne and acne on my like the post pill acne is not just on your face it's like chest knee back knee neck knee butt knee like is everywhere mm. and when I went to my doctor he was like mm, this is just you I've never seen this before and I was like I think it's because I stopped birth control and he's like no it's because you've had PCOS all along you'll read about post-pill PCOS in my book. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I had a nutritional biochemistry background and concurrently studied clinical nutrition. So we are taught how to use food as medicine and like, okay, if you have this going on, like here's what you can eat. And here's, and in, you know, Natural medical school, they're like, here's what to eat at this time of your menstrual cycle. And here's like what you really need to like, you know, fuel, like to bring down prostaglandins, which by the way, ladies, prostaglandins, hormone-like substances that help contract the uterus so that you shed the endometriosis Metrial lining, that is your period. And guess what? A lot of us start birth control, like me because of it, and it can be easily corrected with omega three fatty acids and magnesium. Wow. And so it's usually a sign that something else is going on. So I mean, I was really grateful to have the pill and shut all that business down. However, when I came off of it, having all these issues, I thought I was a freak, and then I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it with anyone. And then when I finally got my period back, and you'll read about this in my book, um, I like I bled through my chair in medical school and you'd think that wouldn't suck because you're like, I'm in a room of future doctors. And I was like, I feel like I'm 14 in Mr. Atkins class. Mr. Atkins, if you're listening, that's why I didn't get up that day and leave class <laughs> because it happened. And I was like, somebody give me a sweatshirt. Now, thank God it was the 90s. And wearing a sweatshirt around your waist was like a cool thing to do. I at <laughs> least had my period then. Yay. Um, so, yeah, with that, I got my period back. I cleared my cystic acne. I And then when I got into clinical practice, I came to understand, that it wasn't the only one. The majority of women do struggle in some way to come off of hormonal birth control. And why wouldn't you? This shuts down an entire system of your body. It impacts Mm -hmm. your gut and your brain and your liver and your skin and your vagina and like all of these things. So why wouldn't you struggle? So that, you know, that really was like my origin story in that. And yet really, what it was is my patients and like, give it up for them because they trusted me. the protocols that are in beyond the pill, those were developed one on one in my practice with my patients who charted their data and brought it back to me. Again, I'm a scientist first, so I'm like, Uh, this is my hypothesis. Let's test it. Let's measure it. Is it true? Is it true for you? So working one-on-one with patients. And I got the reputation of being the doctor who believed women's birth control stories, which was Crazy to me. um
1: Crazy if there's a market for that. Right? This like yeah.
3: the first time I was on the phone and they're like, "Okay, so I heard you're the doctor who believes birth control stories, and if that's true, want to come see you?" And I'm like, <laughs> "What are you talking? Of course I believe your story. Like what?" And you know, this was a woman who had an IUD placed, and she, after having a baby, and she developed, and it was some time later after having a baby, and she developed panic attacks. She didn't feel like herself. I hear this a lot with the IUD. Wow. Women, they're like, "I got it taken out, and oh my god, like a week later." like myself and like I like the the heavens parted and everything is so clear and I didn't feel like so disconnected yeah well because we vilified estrogen for a long time of like that synthetic estrogen is the troublemaker but as we've come to understand the research that synthetic progestin which by the way ladies you make progesterone it is the good stuff only mama nature and you make it humans in the lab make progestin. And while progesterone helps with neuroplasticity, it stimulates GABA receptors in the brain to make you feel chilled out and calm. It helps you have easier periods. You like people a whole lot more when your progesterone's right. Progestin doesn't have those benefits. And in fact, progesterone will help you lose water uh, leading up to your period. So if you get puffy hands and feet, that might be because you have too much estrogen relative to your progesterone. If you're on birth control, it's because you don't have any progesterone. You have this progestin and it's not a diuretic. It's not the same thing. So that's that water weight weight gain that we talked about. Now, uh, the other thing is that the progestin alters uh, how immune cells function in the brain. So they make more free radicals. Well, at the same time, birth control depletes your antioxidants to protect against free radicals. Mm. So it's a lot of stuff going mm. on there. And what's so fascinating to me is how many women came to my office telling the same stories. They didn't know each other. Mm. They weren't on forums together sharing stories. Same story over and over and over. And yet their doctor's like, no, there's no research to support what you're saying. And it's like, well- who wants to fund that? Yeah. Who wants to fund research? Is like, oh, yo, those side effects are way worse than we ever thought. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, what
2: are some of those stories from like, so you mentioned IUD, but also like the mm-hmm. shot and the pill, like are there differences between those?
3: So, you know, those all have um, have progestin in them. Um, what's interesting is that the research that's been coming out of Denmark has shown us that yes, the estrogen, uh, the synthetic estrogen can be bad for the brain, but progestin seems to be a whole lot worse with the mood correlation. We're not at a point with the research to be able to say causation but we've got big enough studies now and we've got enough women i mean it's in the package insert we've been complaining about it since the introduction of hormonal birth control and we know what was really cool is that well what wasn't cool is that the danish study came out in 2016 and the number of male doctors and scientists who lined up to say that's not real to be like now that doesn't mm-hmm. happen oh that's just correlation like these women have something else going on like I wondered if even for a minute, if they ever thought they would say that to their sister or their mother or another woman in their life, because that is a painful thing to have someone in a position of authority dismiss the research that's finally validated what you knew to be true all along. Like that is painful. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but with that... That study showed us that the progestin only, so we see that with uh, like um, the depot shot, the IUDs, um, the mini pill, that they don't fare any better, and actually it's it can be a lot worse in terms of the mood effects. So you're at a higher risk of being prescribed an antidepressant when you're on hormonal birth control. And then, in addition to that, you know, I've seen women who get the Depo shot, and they end up finding that like they're binge drinking. Like they've never been a drinker, and now they're binge drinking. Is that for the
1: GABA effects of the alcohol? So
3: um, there is alterations in like dopamine happening in the brain, but this comes down to the risk taking behavior Mm -hmm. that we don't pump the brakes on as much. We also don't pick up on subtle social cues as well, which is really funny because this study just recently came out, and it was like. Oh, okay. So they're like women. Uh, so we're animals, okay? We've acknowledged that. And how do animals survive? Like based on instinct. Like there's that that sixth sense kind of thing going on. And really, it's sad, you know maybe maybe it is just intuition and something we can't name and science doesn't have the tools to study yet. But it's also likely that stuff's running in your subconscious that you don't you don't your four your, your forebrains like I don't even need to know about that. Like just just handle it. Like breathing happens. Heartbeats. Happens. You don't have to think about it. And it may very well be that, like, avoiding, like, when a woman's walking down the street. And she sees a guy like, and she decides to cross the street, she doesn't know why, mm-hmm. but she, something told her it's time to cross There's the street. There's
1: subtle cues that we don't even, we're not even aware of.
3: Super subtle cues. And so with that, the researchers are like, eh, it's not that significant. Cause if it was, we would have noticed it by now. And I'm like, <laughs> you're so cocky. I can't believe you wrote that. Like you said that, like, and the thing is, is that it's very different to be a woman in this world in terms of the threat of harm that can come to us. Like we, I, I in particular, I just, think we were talking about Game of Thrones. If you are Brienne of Tar, then it's no big deal for you. But like, we're usually tinier, we're smaller. um, And we, you know, we can be at higher threat in our environment. So all of these things keep us safe. And um, there's a so I actually did a book signing in New York I have to say a shout out to Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein who hosted this for me. They're awesome. And thank you. But the thing ended with me talking about this study and going into this book about the gift of fear and how women's instincts like keep them from getting raped and how um, we actually, you know, we we pick up on these little things that we then have society's influence telling us, don't be a bitch. You should smile. You should always be nice. Mm. Ignore that. You're just being unkind. Women shouldn't be unkind and all of that. And it's like, nope, that's actually keeping you safe. If some guy walks up to you in the grocery store parking lot at night and no one else is around and he's like, let me unload the groceries. And your answer is no. And he's like, oh, what? You think you're too good? And You say no again because there was something there saving you. But I ended the whole thing on this like rape story that happens there. Every woman should read The Gift of Fear. I read it when I was, I think I was like 15 or something. That'll scare you. That's scarier Mm -hmm. than my book. Um, But it also really taught me that like these subtle cues are so important. So Mm -hmm. that was the first thing that came to my mind when the study came up. But that is a horrible way to end a book signing at like 10 o'clock at night in New York. I just want to say that. (laughs) That's why I brought that up. I'm like, if you were there, I apologize.
1: (laughs) Dr. Brighton, another thing that I think that we've, You know, the stereotypical symptoms of things like PMS, right? Like Mm -hmm. feeling a particular way, maybe irritability, cravings or whatever. Are those all subtle uh, instincts that benefit us. In other words, we we tend to try to get rid of them by taking Mm -hmm. the pill. Are there benefits to having those feelings? And is there a reason for them?
3: Yeah, totally. So in the book, I talk about, um, so in chapter four of my book, which is like the decoder ring out of the Cracker Jack box, um, (laughs) I'm just dating myself over and over and over (laughs) here. I'm getting them Um, all, don't worry. (laughs) Okay, good, good. Um, But basically, like when you get your period, you should get chapter four of this book so that you understand if you have this sign and symptom, here's the lab you should test. This is what it might mean. So you can go talk to your doctor about it. And here's what to do right now. So you feel better. And so these symptoms are your body's way of communicating to you that something is going on. The irregular period, for example, it might be that hypothyroidism. It might be polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm. It might be a prolactinoma, which is a benign brain tumor in your brain. Like, well, how many times can I say brain in one sentence? Um, But, you know, that could be what's going on. So we have to investigate. Your symptoms are an opportunity and an invitation to heal. And we have to understand that you know, the way disease develops is that it's like, it always starts with the subtle stuff you'll just deal with, that you're like, I can put up with this, I can put up with this, until you can't put up with it. And like these things progress and you as a woman, you know your body so well. This is why in my book I teach you how to track your data because- The reality is, is you will know something's wrong before your labs show something's wrong. Mm. Like it takes a while for those labs to show gross variations. And especially if we're using the conventional reference ranges, which are generally based on sick populations. So it's not a marker of healthy people. In fact, I advocate that Every person, when they are feeling awesome, should get their lab testing done and get their baseline tests. So when they don't feel awesome, they know they're normal, they can compare, they can compare and they can go back. And that can actually help you get attention from your doctor a whole lot faster so um, you know, I, I make this analogy in the book about like, you know, when you post birth control syndrome, the collection of signs and symptoms that come on after women stop hormonal. Did birth you come control, up with that term by the way? I came up with it. It's I you know, other people have been saying it as well. And so it's something like, I don't know. I have people who are like, no, obviously they're first person to said it. And I'm always like, Yeah, but I feel like everybody was observing it. They just we didn't have language around mm-hmm. it at the same time. Because whenever I bring it up with clinicians who pay attention and listen to women's stories, they're like, Oh my. God, that's what I've been seeing. That's what mm. it is. Um, so you know, with that, that coming up, I say, you know, what post birth control syndrome is kind of like is that your body was bound and gagged and thrown in the back of a trunk. And it had something to say for a long time, but it was held hostage. And because birth control numbed out and shut down. I have a good friend, Dr. Lara Bryden, who calls it chemical castration, which is essentially what it is. It's a temporary one and it sounds harsh, but like that's the real talk. And so When you pop that trunk and you rip the duct tape off your body's mouth, your body's going to start yelling at you and be like, I need you to pay attention right now. It's not because this narrative we've got is that being a woman is inherently awful. Your body's always betraying you. Hormones are the worst. No, hormones give you superpowers. And that's why your brain works a little bit better than the male brain in some regards. (laughs) Not because you're better, just because you're different. But with that, that can be what's going on. But we're told those symptoms are bad and we have to suppress it. And that's what pharmaceuticals do. And there's a time and a place for it, but they strong arm your body into submission. Whereas working with your body naturally, that's gonna take a lot more time and it's more of a dance and you have to orchestrate that. And so understand that like, if you suppress anything and that can be part of post-birth control syndrome, is it masked? something that was going on and allowed it to fester and progress. Mm -hmm. And then you come off of birth control and your body finally has the opportunity to present it to you, which is usually when doctors are like, do you want to have a baby? Yes or no? You say no? Great, go back on birth control and we'll discuss it when you want to have a baby. Whether or not you want to procreate doesn't mean that you should, you know, get the, like, that's a choice that's in the side of your health. Like, you should get the best care possible regardless of whether you want to make a baby or not.
1: Mm. Are there some birth control pills that are better than others like if women right now are like I want to I need to take the pill anyway which one, are there some that are better?
3: So, you know, in general, I wouldn't say like, oh, there's definitely ones that are better. But what I would say is that if you already are at a risk for stroke or heart attack, staying away from uh, the family of uh, progestins called Drosperinone, the Yaz, Yasmin, Ocella, okay. when those guys stepped on the scene is where we saw the heart attack and stroke risk really climb. And it's because they're potassium sparing. Mm. So this is also an issue if you are popping ibuprofen, because spoiler alert, it doesn't always take away period pain to start the pill. And so if you're taking that and you're taking ibuprofen, say you have endometriosis, now you're on two potassium sparing drugs. Get a comp metabolic panel or at the very least get your electrolytes drawn and you can see where your potassiums at and understand what your risk is for that. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some of the strategies? Let's say someone gets off the pill. They, they They're noticing some of these symptoms. What are some of the strategies that you employ to help women get back into just regular health, better mm-hmm. health?
3: Yeah. So I have a ton of recipes in the book and we have, I'm always a food first person. So we have a whole 30-day protocol. And the first thing is we jump right into liver detox support. This is not a lot of people you see out there are like, oh, you have to detox those hormones out, otherwise your body can't get them out. No, your body can do that, but you're it's kind of like we tied a hand behind your back, like and and asked you to like, you know, go play a baseball game or, or something. And um, that's what's going on with like liver detox and gut detox and, and what we call the amunctories, your ways to get waste out. And so we jump right into how can we support liver detoxification and and gut moving things out. So pooping every day. And we do that in the first 14 days. That's the thing I see will move the needle really fast in terms of like not having acne like you're a teenager because is there anything worse when you're 40 and you look like you're 14? That's not cool. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mm-hmm. you got wrinkles and you got acne. That is not fair. Like you would be <laughs> able to trade that. Be like, I'll take the acne and just make the wrinkles go away. It's lame. Um, so we go right into that. We talked about liver detox and we've talked about nutrient uh, depletions that happen and having to replenish nutrient stores. So the dietary protocol in there is designed to do that and designed to help you rebuild your hormones. So you start making your own hormones. And Chapter one of the book has a hormone quiz. You've got to understand your hormone imbalance because it may be rooted in adrenal health. It might be what's going on with your thyroid. It might be insulin, progesterone, testosterone. Like it could be any one of those is the key troublemaker and it's gonna look a little different in terms of diet, lifestyle and supplement protocols. And so I guide you in that and I give you a whole sample day of like, how do you actually do this? Like, cause it's a lot Mm -hmm. to switch. If you're like, I don't even eat vegetables and now she wants me to eat six to nine servings a day. By the way, if that's you, just start with one serving a day for a week and then increase over time. Like go slow, slow and steady always wins the race on behavioral change. Now, we've also got to reverse that metabolic mayhem. So we've got to drop inflammation and I really encourage women get a hemoglobin A1c it's an average of what your blood sugar looked like in the last three months. And it's a lot more sensitive in picking things up than just a glucose alone, a fasting glucose. Sometimes I see patients who have elevated fasting glucose and I'm like, how do you do with blood draws? And they're like, I hated it. And I sat there for an hour and I was super stressed out to get it done. And I'm like, yeah. And you spiked cortisol and cortisol hit your liver and your liver gave up the glycogen into glucose and now your glucose went up. So this is a one snapshot in time of somebody having an appropriate stress response. That's what your body should do. But we should also get a fasting insulin and a C-reactive protein. Now, fasting insulin, because if your insulin is going up like above six, that's just trouble coming down the pipeline. And then the CRP, the C-reactive protein, it's a marker of inflammation. It's been shown in studies that they measure women's blood. They put them on birth control and some women have three times the increase of CRP. That's inflammation. That's Mm. inflammation that's affecting your brain, your cardiovascular system, your entire body. It's not Mm. a good thing. We know you want to get a chronic disease, get inflamed. Like that's the way that you get there. So with that, we have to look at those pieces and we have to look at how can we eat to lower inflammation? What things can we bring on to help sensitize ourselves? If we've got insulin resistance, then we're gonna see thyroid resistance, cortisol resistance. Like if your cells are inflamed, you can't dock hormones, so you can't use them. This is why women will say, my thyroid panel is normal. Everything is normal. And you look at it and it is, but they're like, I still feel hypothyroid. Well, we don't have a great way to test cellular resistance. And it's likely what's going on because we look at where your inflammatory proteins are. In other
1: are. words, you're just not using it.
3: Exactly. Mm. You can't use it. It's ugh, Hormones be so tricky. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So with all of that, now the other thing, and, and what I've just gone through is like the five fundamentals of the Brighton Protocol. And the last one is your gut. And we, and it's so funny to me how many people will be like, I'm really surprised that like I got this book and then you like went into liver health and gut health link like, and, and all of that. And I'm like, yes, because if those aren't right, your hormones are never going to be right. So your gut, which houses all these wonderful critters who do so much for you. Um, They also help with processing estrogen. But if you've got the wrong guys growing there, they'll make beta-glucuronidase, reactivates estrogen, puts it back into circulation. Now your liver's like, WTF, mate. Like, I just got all that out and now I gotta do it again. Um, And so that can be one way to develop estrogen dominance. Same if like you're not moving your bowels every day. Yes, you need to poop every day. Um, It is the only way to really get that estrogen out. It's one of the main ways that we get a lot of waste out. And so with that, we've got to not only replenish the microbiome, so we've killed some of them being on birth Mm -hmm. control. So that's why if you're on it, please take a probiotic and eat Prebiotic foods and probiotic rich foods. So getting things like you know, sauerkraut coming in, kefir, kimchi, making sure you're eating artichokes and everything I really go through in Beyond the Pill is gonna help you. Whoa. Ooh. Hey there. I got excited. <laughs> Get so excited about, about <laughs> so, the pooping. Sorry, you said down. poop. Yeah. <laughs>
2: she does know me. us really well. <laughs> oh
3: my God. So th- this week I have to share that I was laughing about something, and my husband's like, I wonder how many people would ever guess that you have have the humor of, like, a 14-year-old boy. And I'm like, (laughs) I know. It's, like, is why I birthed a man. Like, that's what happened there because he's, like, makes a fart joke or he comes over and, like yeah this shouldn't happen and he farts on me that's like something he's really into and i have to run out of the room because i laugh so hard because he uh, does his yes. sneak attack and i'm i'm also like good on you i'm kind of proud of you like how you're like you're so <laughs> sneaky like i didn't even see it coming um yeah or he'll make a joke and my husband's like that's so inappropriate you have to stop laughing i'm like on in tears on the ground and he's like my husband's just oh, that's like,
2: awesome. you, like that's a- You you talked about uh, endometriosis. Yeah. Um, My sister has endo. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can school me a little bit on that uh, because I've only known, I didn't even know about it until my sister. I was uh, not, in fact, I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about endo. Um, And with your nutritional background and and your food first attitude, what are some things that I should know or she should know uh, about that?
3: Totally. So- Uh, First thing, one in 10 women have endometriosis and it's one of the biggest underfunded areas of nutrition or nutrition of women's health. And it's really... It's sad. Um, And there's so much we don't know about endometriosis just from a lack of asking. Uh, It just, it so breaks my heart. So, with endometriosis, we understand that it's likely looking more like an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. So, in Beyond the Pill, you'll get into the Gut Check chapter. There's an autoimmune protocol because, as I said, birth control comes with autoimmune disease. Who gets autoimmune disease at the highest rate? Women do. So, that's one thing we start to look at with women with endometriosis is gut health. Uh, Do you have leaky gut? Um, what's growing in your gut because we know that certain organisms can be inflammatory but can also trigger autoimmunity. Now, the other thing with endometriosis is that it's implantation. So people who are listening, this is like the worst period of your life. It's not like, oh, I have a bad period. It is like somebody, I mean, for some women have explained it of like, it's like someone exploded shrapnel inside me. Like it hurts so bad. They are Mm -hmm. vomiting. It impacts their activities of daily living, which in medicine is a really big deal. Anything that impacts your ADLs, that is like slow the roll. We've got to do something about that because that impacts your quality of life. And if you're a woman with chronic disease or you're a woman with chronic pain specifically, you're at a much higher rate of being dismissed and receiving inadequate care. This is in the research.
0: This
2: was her for a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like, oh, you're just having painful periods. Welcome to womanhood. This is just the way it is. Understand that it's common to have period problems, PMS, and and all of this, but it's not normal. And why does your doctor think it's normal? Because who goes to the doctor? Sick people who need help. Mm -hmm. So it's all they see all day, every day. And they're like, oh, this is normal. This is the way it is. It's not it's not normal. And we need to be asking what's going on. So with that, these women get endometrial implants. The endometrium is the lining of your uterus. And these implants can end up anywhere in the bowels. So now there's pain when you poop on the bladder, pain when you pee. Um, it can end up um, in in your actual abdominal cavity. And so um, the, it's it's not exactly like the endometrial tissue. So we used to think, like, oh, it's just these endometrial implants. Yes, but they tend, it's a little more fibrous. There's a little more cysts in it. So something's different about it as mm-hmm. well. And that's where we need to investigate a little bit more. But these tissues can be stimulated by estrogen. And estrogen will cause those tissues to proliferate. Then when your period's going to come, your hormones drop, it triggers a bleed. You could be having bleeding in different places of your body, which is going to be, it's going to get your immune system hot and bothered. And that's going to be painful as well. So we're going to have that inflammation component. So this is where environmental toxins, probably playing a big role in this, estrogen dominance, we've got to get estrogen in check as we do with all autoimmune disease um, because estrogen is a big player in your immune system. And it doesn't mean get rid of all the estrogen because without that, we can't actually get our hormones up into, or excuse me, get our immune system balanced in the right way. Now, the other thing uh, that I talk about in my book, which is like, I had to say, I did this um, virtual book club where we went through every chapter of the book. And when we got to the getting your libido back chapter, there were so many women who are like, my husband is right now looking over my shoulder. It was like waiting for this chapter, <laughs> just, <laughs> just like waiting for yeah. this. And when I went through like the, the top 10 health benefits of orgasms and how having regular sexual activity defined as weekly sexual activity actually modulates the immune system, can help with lowering oh. pain, lowering inflammation, um, and regulating your menstrual cycle as well. All the men were like, oh my God, see? Those are, those
0: are great fun facts.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> totally, but it's also something like, yeah, but you gotta do your work. Like, and okay. it can't, it can't be like what you see on the movies where it's like, we kissed and then she just had an orgasm. <laughs> Women aren't wired that way, don't work that way. Like, like that. May, it should make it more fun. Speak
2: for okay? yourself.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I just look at her across right. the room. Uh, yeah. It's done, yeah, it's right. over.
1: Doc, Dr. Brighton, you know, I'm by no means an expert in, in hormones or, or hormone balance, but I did train a lot of clients. And when I would get female clients who would get off birth control and talk about some of the stuff that you're talking about now, mm-hmm. I had no idea what to do other than apply my expertise, which was exercise. And the way that I would train them, I was very careful with intensity. Mm-hmm. I would not have them do lots of circuits and high-intensity cardio workouts and beat themselves up. We would do traditional resistance training once, twice a week, get stronger. I would have them do mobility work and recuperative work. And that seemed to work very, very well. And that's become my protocol now mm-hmm. whenever I get uh, people in that situation. did I, Was that the right approach?
3: Yeah. And so I like that you bring up the exercise piece and it does lend itself to like the endo talk as well because ex- exercise can really help. Now- You can actually work with a woman's menstrual cycle to help her have even more gains.
0: Oh, really? Um,
3: Yeah. There are women who, um, I can't even tell you how many times I have a patient. So I used to be a spin instructor. I'll own that first. Um, So Uh I'm not judging anybody. Um, But, you know, spin's designed to be a 40-minute class from start to finish. And yeah, I was in gyms. Oh, my God. New Year's Day, they'd always have me teach a two-hour class. 2 hours spin class. Oh, wow. Like, Crazy. you know, you want to talk about metabolic mayhem? I killed some people's <laughs> adrenals. Like, that was not okay. What did I know? I was like, <laughs> I was just a college kid trying to make some money. <laughs> um, so with that, um, that, so that's something that's stressful, right? We have to look at, if a woman is not ovulating, what would keep us from ovulating? One thing is the signal from the environment that, it's not safe. So more more stress. Exactly. Your body will choose survival over procreation as it should because it's in it to win it with you for the long run. And also a baby, you know, if your body, your body's not evolved with like iPhones. Okay. Like we're just catching on to all of this. And so your body doesn't know that there's not a lion or tiger. And it's just like, babies are noisy. If you're pregnant, you can't move. Like we're going to have a predator on us. So like, we're going to just shut it down. So with that, when we look at like women coming off of birth control and they're like, oh, I just want to lose the weight. And sometimes they go go really, really intense, too
1: intense, in Too opinion. intense.
3: yeah, that's something where now their body's getting the stress signal. So, you know, it's always something I have to frame to people just because something's a good thing doesn't mean more of it's a better thing. Like we have mm-hmm. to really respect mm-hmm. our body and where we're at. So dialing down the intensity can really help reestablish brain ovarian connection. So the brain signals to the ovaries rather than signaling to the adrenals make cortisol shut down the progesterone, the ovulation mechanism, which, by the way, without ovulation, you don't get progesterone. That's why ovulation is so important. So. So with that, thought- I think that's brilliant to have dialed it back the other thing as like g- getting all TMI because that shouldn't even be a thing TMI like yeah. it just like we're humans like I, it's always when it's like when people are like oh I don't want to talk about my poop it's TMI and like I feel ashamed I'm like would you shame a dog that you see pooping like you wouldn't do that because no. you're like that's what you do that's what's just like normal that's everybody what happens. poops. Everybody. everybody poops there's a book on that yep. um, which is silly we had to have a book on it but that shows <laughs> you like <laughs> what prudes we've been I guess it's like, amazing amazing yeah. so you know we with your menstrual cycle, here's how it works. Um, when our, our period's going to come, what happens is we drop estrogen and progesterone. That drop signals the body there's no baby, shed the endometrium. You're shedding an entire organ you just grew. So if you feel like you are a little bit tired re- leading up to that or tired on your period and you need to dial back, that's not abnormal but we live in this like nail driven society and this is not man-shaming or anything but just this idea of like you guys are like the same all the time and so we think we've got to be the same mm-hmm. and if we're falling behind like we got to push harder and there's no space in society to really be like no I actually need a home day and a mental health day and I'm gonna mm-hmm. need, like stay home because I'm shedding an entire organ that I grew over a month time so with that that's a really good time to dial back maybe it's yin yoga um maybe you're decreasing the weights but you're still doing weights you might do um
2: mobility type work
3: mobility work or you might be doing like lower weight but have higher amount of reps if that feels good to you and then as you're coming off of your period your estrogen starting to rise and then you know roughly around day 10ish or so testosterone's going to start spiking these are sprint go like you can do that that's a great time to get your like you want to lift heavier go heavier that's a great time to do it Um, as you're leading into ovulation you're going to still feel like those um, you know those that you are like oh man I have so much energy like women might even notice the subtle thing of like oh I'm walking up the stairs like on my period and I'm like oh taking my time and then like you're jumping up two sets of stairs Mm -hmm. like well you're like you're ovulating you're like I can go I feel amazing and then after ovulation As your progesterone rises, like we can get stimulations to the connective tissue that we want to be a little more conscious of like how we are moving our body. And maybe we want to do strength training that we have um, a spotter or being braced with that. And with that, uh, you know, we may even want to do some Pilates and bring some Pilates into the mix or, well, you know, body weight training in that way. And then as you creep closer to your period, again, you, if you feel your energy come down, respect that. If you feel like, man, I'm going anaerobic. Like every time I like go to do something, I'm just panting. I can't even have a conversation. Well, now you're burning glycogen. You're not burning, you know, the fat that you want to be burning, as you guys know that fat burns in, in, an oxygenated fire. Um, so with that though, don't don't get on yourself. Be like, oh, maybe this is an opportunity to do something different, to really pull back. And what's really cool is that when we are on our period, and um, you know, typically about day two ish, day three of our period. Our brain hormones, our estrogen is starting to rise. So we are then, even while you're still bleeding, you're focusing on getting that next egg ready. Again, why ovulation is really the focus there. But your corpus callosum, which is the center of your brain, connects your lobes so much better. So doing cross-body action in this time Ooh. can actually help you dissipate stress And this more. is right
1: before ovulation?
3: This is, yeah, on your period. Oh, yeah, 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 leading up to ovulation. Excellent. Yeah, so this is where like walking can actually be tremendously beneficial in increasing your stress, but also, you know, just making you feel like you're on your game. And this is a great time to start like analyzing life and looking at like, what do I need? Like, what do I really want? What do I want to really get rid of? And so there's different ways throughout our cycle that our brain works differently. And there's been brilliant psychologists and psychiatrists writing about this uh, information with regards to our menstrual cycle. And there's a a new book that's going to be coming out later talking even more in depth about this that I've can't share about because I've been privileged to read it before it actually comes out. It is really good. Um, And I love all this and it fascinates me. And it's a way to actually... Work with a woman's body. Now, why I brought out the spin instructor thing is because how many patients I've had when I'm like, just, I want you to do a little bit less. Like, I want you to do a little bit less and we're actually gonna do exercise to work with your menstrual cycle. And they're like, oh my God, this month I've already lost. Like, I was losing like two to three pounds a week, you know, if that's what they needed to use, which is, you know, three pounds is kind of max in terms of sustainable weight loss. um, By doing like seemingly less and how many athletes I've had that are like, Oh my God! You're never gonna believe like my time swimming or this or that because I actually worked with my menstrual cycle and like I, it's almost like your menstrual cycle builds in the recovery phase. It totally. makes you focus on these other things. Totally,
1: we notice this as trainers mm. all the time. And if you're pushing your body when it doesn't want to be pushed, it's going to want to hold on to uh, insurance, which is mm-hmm. body fat. So making trying to lose body fat. During a period of time when your body's feeling stressed out, well, we've we've been difficult.
2: we've been coined as Team No Sweat because we're co- we're constantly cautious cautioning people mm-hmm. that are listening because in my experience the people that tend to gravitate towards this type of training, the high intensity, the spin class are the ones that shouldn't be doing it. Yeah,
3: they're the A-types. That's yes, me right here. They're the hands A-types. Up. We call them
2: cortisol junkies. They're, yeah,
3: totally, totally.
2: It's, it, and it's and it's like, it's. I'm not trying to demonize spin. I'm not trying to demonize no. these these ways of training, but in just in my experience of training hundreds, even thousands between the three of us of people, those are the ones that gravitate towards.
3: Totally. And you know, there's those people who like thrive being marathon runners, which I'm going to share with you that, the Portland Marathon, I actually worked in the medic tent. And that was the very first and last time I ever considered running a marathon. You don't want to be the first person in. You know what the first person to cross the line does? They run straight into the medic tent and then they get their blood pressure taken while they're also getting an IV bag put in. And I was like, when I was seeing that and people vomiting and like everything and people being like taken to the ER and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it's not for me, shut it down. But there are some people who totally thrive with that kind of exercise. They probably have different genes. Like they're wired a little bit differently than us. And I also wonder, so, oh my god, like it's so Game of Thrones season. Uh, I'm not gonna give any spoilers because I don't wanna be that person. Um, but winter was it came, okay? It came. <laughs> and the only people who survived, I, I uh said this to people, I'm like, there's this thing called an MAO gene that processes your catecholamines. I actually have a mutation in this, which it's called the warrior gene, which means that if I get stressed out, I don't clear my epi nor epi, my freak freak out hormones from my brain. And And this, evolutionary speaking, why we think it existed was because if somebody attacked the tribe, you could go, like, can't stop, won't stop until everybody's dead or they're far enough away from your tribe. So when you're watching Game of Thrones and Mm -hmm. and the Night King is there, I want you to identify who likely had an MAO defect um, (laughs) because they're the only ones that lived to be able to battle that long. Mm -hmm. And so these are people who may gravitate. And this is something like, If you're this person, you you will have a propensity towards anxiety or feeling like you want to rage out. Jump squats are some of the best medicine for that because we just have to go through like, okay, so if your body's doing this, what does your body want? Well, it thinks you need to fight, you know, flight or freeze or you know, fight somebody, and so give it what it wants. Move big muscles, and so this is something where I will tell women like take off your high heels, Go sh- sh- close the blinds in your office or whatever, do some lunges, do some jump squats, like do something that gets your heart rate up and moves the big muscles so that your body got what it needed. And it's like, great, I can chew through those catecholamines. I can I can work on all of that. But it may very well be too that some of these A-type people, like what else are they able to do? They're the ones that like, I mean, I've seen these lawyers in the Bay Area where they're like, I only sleep five hours oh, and I go to work and I sleep there and they go, go, go. And I'm like, and and. and. And then people like shame them for that behavior. But I'm like, can I just like for a minute say like mad respect? Because a lot of people would die doing that. And like there is something very special about you. But like let's make sure you live long life. (laughs) Like, Mm. Let's work on that. So, you know, there may be something about that that causes us to gravitate towards that. But again, just because it's good, more doesn't make it better. And so we really have to pay attention to that. And that is something you know, circling back to endometriosis then if you are overdoing it in any capacity of your life and you're signaling that stress response over and over, which can just be the way you talk to yourself. Fascinating research that if you say mean things to yourself, yes, women, I'm talking to you because, yes, I try to participate in this and I have to slow the roll in it as well. If you get in front of the mirror and you're like, you're fat, you're ugly, you're dumb, you don't do anything right, your inflammatory proteins go up. You become inflamed. If you get in front of the mirror and you're like, you're a rock star, you kick ass, you're doing the best you can and like you forgive your past self and you just keep doing you, your inflammatory proteins drop. And they've compared it to meditation. And talking nice to yourself Mm -hmm. beats meditation Mm -hmm. in dropping. Now, you should probably still meditate, but because that's how you get there to be like, oh, I'm conscious enough that I'm running these same negative thoughts. But any kind of thing that gives that stress response, that can compromise your progesterone. Now, in the case of endometriosis, we've got overstimulation of estrogen. Things are going to feel a whole lot worse. And and the
1: irony of the the negative self-talk is if you saw a person speaking negatively to another person constantly, We would all be like, "That's terrible. Stop doing that," but yet we do it to ourselves. And there's nobody we believe more physically than our own selves. Mm -hmm. Like you could be yelling at me and saying bad things to me, and I could believe you or not. But what I say is always true. Yeah. And so that negative self talk is is far worse than even someone else doing it to you. Yeah, Mm
3: -hmm. and you know I try to tell women like, look, like talk to yourself like you're three, because whatever's going on is probably something from that three to five-year-old range that something happened and kind of got imprinted on you. My husband actually had this brilliant idea um, today. My my child has a PANDAS, which is a pediatric autoimmune disorder of the brain that he developed. It's very recent. It's only been like a handful of months that we've been dealing with this. And um, it's very difficult to navigate. And right now he's being really cool but my husband and him, they just have this like friction and I can see it. But like, then I tried to frame it to my husband. He's like, I don't see it. He had this great idea. He's like, I'm going to wear the GoPro camera on my head today with our child. And I'm going to record his response and the things that I'm saying. And then that way I can truly mirror it back to me and see mm-hmm. what's going on mm-hmm. and try to impact. I thought I was like, go you. Like, that's like, wow, amazing. Um, and I thought about that. Like, wow, I was sitting on the plane and thinking, what if I was wearing a GoPro during the day when I like go into the bathroom or I go into the gym or like any of these things, like, what would I say to like, what would I see that I'm doing that I'm not even aware of? It's just a very interesting thing to think like, if you're talking bad to yourself, maybe you need a GoPro on your head (laughs) and be like, and watch it back and be like, oh my God, I'm so ashamed I ever, because there are things that we will say to ourselves that we would never say out loud to another human. Or another
2: person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and kids hear us say sometimes these things that we say to ourselves and they internalize it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh,
3: yeah. No, like trust. So like I I totally own like body image issues. I think if you spend a decade working as a group fitness instructor, uh, you're going to have some body image issues because you stand in front of a room in front of everybody. And like you're wearing tight clothes like the whole works. Um, But, you know, I just rolled back from living in Paris. And I will fully confess the last week that we were living in Paris, um, I sent my husband out and I was like, you don't come back with less than 12 desserts. Like (laughs) I have been awesome like this whole time and I'm going to eat 12 desserts which I can't really do sugar like I like had like one bite of every single one I was like I'm out
0: (laughs) I'm out I can't even
3: do it um but you know with that uh it's like okay so I'm holding some extra weight right now because I've been under tremendous stress with my son a book coming out um I've had very little sleep like when he goes into uh he's in a flare like he'll sleep like four hours or less Mm -hmm. a night it's interrupted and so all of that I'm like okay so like I want to get in front of the and be like, oh, you're so fat. Why don't you just lose weight? What's wrong with you? Like you're supposed to be this pillar of health and I have to look and be like, yeah, you have like if you were your patient, you'd be like, look at all this stuff that you have going on. Exactly. Like, of course we're gonna have a little more belly fat because our cortisol is elevated. That's what happens. Like, um, you know, your butt, hips, and thighs—that's gonna get a more a pl- little more plump if like you're not getting your progesterone up. Progesterone helps with our metabolism, so without that, that can be a bit of an issue. And estrogen is stimulating those areas. Um, I have hypothyroidism. I know that if my upper arms start getting a little bit jiggly, it's time to go do a thyroid test because that can actually be a sign of hypothyroidism mm-hmm. or even low testosterone. And so there's certain ways our hormones can show up in our body. And just to like hit this argument like right away is that I know there are uh, they're all male doctors that I've seen out there saying like they make these like Willy Wonka like memes and like these really condescending things to women where they're like, tell me more about how your hormones are causing your weight. And it's not just that you're eating too much, and sure. I'm like, oh, find you in a dark alley, I will, <laughs> um, <laughs> like for real. And I'm like, except that the like, what 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 do you do as a physician when a woman comes to you and says? everything is the same and yet I'm having unexplained weight gain and I don't know why you test her thyroid that's a well known like symptom of hypothyroidism what if she's losing too much weight and she's like I don't know why I'm losing all of this weight I'm sweating all the time I can't sleep at night Hyper. you test her thyroid mm-hmm. and so this idea that like oh your hormones don't have any impact on your metabolism Silly. or any of it, it doesn't even make sense I'm like what about insulin like what about that that can also cause belly weight gain if somebody has if somebody's complaining about like no matter what i do my midsection is gaining weight i'm like let's check your cortisol versus cortisone and let's check your insulin and make sure it's not an issue can it be that you're eating too much and not moving enough yes it definitely can be but like the thing about health i'm still holding my i'm still like trying to squeeze my belly it's hilarious um the thing about health though is this is like almost never one thing Mm -hmm. it's usually a collection of things and that is why i love being a root cause medicine doctor is like I'm a great problem solver. So I get to take all the puzzle pieces, put them all together, and paint a picture for that person to be like, hey, this is how you got here and here's where you're going if we don't act now. So like here's what we're gonna do to reverse this. And in a lot of ways, it's just like my job is just listening to all the data points they provide me to troubleshoot what is going on for them. And when it comes to your health, it's like reading a book that's too close to your face. You already know everything. You have all the data, but it's so close you can't navigate it. You can't Read it, it's out of focus. So, you need someone who can stand back and be like, Oh, okay, here's what we need to do it's your signs, your symptoms, how you feel living in your body, what you say is normal and not normal for you that guides us in what lab testing we need to conduct next.
1: Mm, well, it, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I have one more question for you, but I do want to comment on the hormone thing. Yeah, you know, they talk a lot about you, you need excess calories to gain weight, but your hormones determine a lot of times where that weight goes. Mm-hmm. So, you could take like a male athlete. Have him eat the same amount of food. Give him testosterone, extra testosterone, and he'll get more muscle and less body fat. Those calories have been repartitioned from fat to muscle, and that's just one simple example that I know everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. One last question: You yeah. talked about uh, you know birth control methods that were not uh, hormonal, like you know testing when you're ovulating. What about the good old fashioned? pull-out method, if done properly. Is that a viable birth control
3: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. method?
2: Good old Sal's been pushing this for a long time.
3: Yeah. Uh, 4% failure rate when done correctly.
2: When done correctly.
1: And when I read that, that's not bad.
3: my jaw dropped. But you know, and I... said you gotta I, do
2: it correctly.
1: And
3: yeah, and that's I like, here's what happens to some men, um, not all men, some men can be on their game, um, but that their, like, their hormones override their brain. So, like, having <laughs> yeah. a logical yeah. thought... Wait, wait, you're saying that
1: men's hormones oh. overrides our brain?
3: I know. Imagine <laughs> (laughs) and what a novel thought I mean yeah there's some men that like you know when people are like they're cheaters they're just a dog and it's like well they're they're like you know maybe maybe, maybe they are or maybe their amygdala can't function and like they get flooded with hormones and then they're like can't compute must just follow like what my little brain is telling me and do <laughs> do that work. By the way, there's no actual brain, but there is a nervous system tissue there. Um, so
1: <laughs> the beginnings of a brain, yeah. totally. So
3: you know the the deal though with the pull out method is what makes me uncomfortable is a woman can't control it oh, and she can't control it. And then there's also pre ejaculate or what people know more commonly as pre cum that does exist. There can be ejaculate before there is actually an orgasm. And if those swimmers be strong, they will find their way to mm. an egg. Like you know if he you know is eating. Uh, seafood and Brazil nuts and has his selenium and his glutathione's on point, then those guys are going to make mm-hmm. it. Like, they will swim and they will make no, it. No,
1: I'm glad you said that because I think uh, the pull Well, what method- about
2: combined with also knowing when she's ovulating and stuff and actually planning not to have sex for those, you know, few days that yeah. she has a higher yeah. higher chance of being pregnant? That's a great combination.
3: Yeah, so um, with fertility awareness method, there is a bigger window. So women can get pregnant for 24 hours. It's a 24-hour event without egg. That sperm- be tricky and it can live like five or six days, which makes sense. I mean, there are other mammals in nature that actually go have sex, capture sperm, hang on to it for months until like they're in the right environment and then get themselves pregnant. And so, you know, again, we're animals. Um, So with that, that sperm can live uh, for a bit of time. And so that's why when you're doing fertility awareness method, the fertile window is more like a week. So it's like, you know, you got three weeks, green light go and, you know, one week out of the month, like shut it down. And with that, women will often say like, well, you know, my, my partner doesn't want to use a barrier method. Okay. Well, I mean, it's up to you if you want to risk the pull out method. I present the science. I, as a physician would never be like, this is a good method for that just because (laughs) that feels irresponsible, but I provide the education and, and you can make a decision for yourself. I just was actually shocked. I had to put it in my book because I was like, whoa, wait, what? It's like 96% efficacy rate? Like, that's amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. Nobody taught me that in medical school. So that's cool. Yeah. Old school. (laughs) I know. And people have so many names for it too. But, so some people do use the pull-out method. I mean, that is a risk that you could become pregnant. Other people decide to engage in something else and spice it up in their bedroom. I've actually had p- women say to me, my sex life is better now that we're doing fertility awareness method, because during that week, we find other things right. to do that we never thought of before. And I'm like, more power to you. That's amazing. And then there's women who do use barrier methods. So they use a condom or a diaphragm, cervical cap, something along those lines um, to prevent pregnancy. And so it's just all about like what's true for you and what's works for you and the really cool thing is that in 2018 the FDA for the first time in history approved a um, app to be a contraceptive device Mm -hmm. natural cycles and it works so there's natural cycles and daisy that we have um, in this country in terms of using the thermometer under the tongue Uh, there's also Ava bracelet I just got sent all the research on that so I have to like dig into that um, to understand that a little bit further but Natural cycles was the first approved for um, for contraceptive means, and what they found is that. And I want to be really clear, women. I love so I actually use a Daisy thermometer because it just tells me green light go, red light no. Like that's that's my little rhyme that I have, but I don't negate the signs and symptoms of my body. Because we should never take a backseat to our reproductive health. And sometimes women, you know, I'll hear things or people say like, oh, well, this many women got pregnant using fertility awareness method. And it's like, well, were they abstaining from sexual intercourse during their fertile window? Mm. Like that matters. you ha- you got to have that self-control a little bit, so to speak. Um, but in addition to that, was she getting signals from the app, which is measuring her temperature, building it into an algorithm and comparing it to other women, but she was seeing fertile cervical mucus and ignoring it. Like you still need to know what's going on in the nether parts, the nether regions. And um, if you see uh, cervical mucus that's fertile, that's that egg white, raw egg white consistency Amy Schumer I don't know if you guys have seen her stand up where she's like it's like someone blew snot in my panties and I'm like I'm like yes that's awesome you want that that's good that's some good stuff right there progesterone will follow like this is gonna be good Um, so with that I know but like I have women great visual um, you like that (laughs) but uh, we have women uh, in my clinic in their 40s who they were put on birth control like they had a couple periods they were put on birth control immediately they're in their 40s they come off of it call my office in a panic they're like there's some weird discharge I've never seen before Mm. in my life like I think I have an infection and then we get into like what does it look like and I'm like congratulations you're ovulating Mm. they're like I never even I didn't even know that this happens. Like, yeah, like your um, vaginal mucus shifts throughout your menstrual cycle. This is why also the movies do a disservice to women when they're like, he just looked at you and there was no condom, no lubricant, nothing like women are going to have periods of time periods. It really is around your period where uh, there's more vaginal dryness. That's not an abnormal thing. And then lubrication is much easier around ovulation. This doesn't mean that you're broken. Like, women will be like, oh, I have to use lubricant. And it's like, yeah, that's how your body works. Mm. It's cyclical. That's, that's okay. Like, it just so happens that, like, in nature, we tend to have sex when we're going to be fertile. and But we, as humans, get to have sex whenever we want. So, yay, that. And we've got all of these things that we can use to make it even better. So... With that, um, I think it's you know really important that so in chapter thirteen of my book, there's an entire table where it's just like pros and cons of all these methods. It's really important to evaluate like what is best for you, what is true for you, and where you're at in your life every single form of pregnancy prevention comes with a risk. Fertility awareness method, pullout method, the risk is getting pregnant. There's a risk there. Mm-hmm. And so you have to evaluate the risk that you're comfortable taking. And then you know, if you're going to start any kind of medical intervention, whether it be hormonal birth control or like a copper IUD, which is a non-hormonal birth control, you should monitor your symptoms. Go through an entire menstrual cycle. Three is even better. Get some baseline labs, then engage in that medical intervention. Because that way, once you know what's normal and true for you, it's a lot harder for your doctor to gaslight you when you go in and say, I started birth control and now X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. is different. And they're like, no, you're misremembering this and that. Guess what? I wrote it down. I'm not misremembering. I've got the data right Mm -hmm. here in front of me. And that helps you not second guess yourself, but also be able to correlate those changes because- it's not like we start the pill and then overnight we have symptoms. Some women do with like depression, anxiety. But for the most part, it tends to be this slow creep, like so many things. And then it just creeps up on you like my child and then farts in your face. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, I had to go there. That was, uh, <laughs>
1: that was no, you've been, this has been an absolute treat. You did not disappoint. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah, really, really awesome. happy you came on the show. I'm
3: so glad. And yeah, I mean, I think on Instagram, we were, I mean, we were tagged so many times. Yes. And that's how I found you guys. And I was like, "Who are these muscular dudes that like you think I should be on their podcast?" <laughs> I want to like, talk about periods and yeah. pills. In. I was like, yeah. do "I need to go work out first. Like, <laughs> no, what, what is going to happen here?" No, this is so, all
1: very, very important stuff that I think. And I think the more information people have, the better they uh, equipped they are to make decisions for themselves. This is not about whether you should or shouldn't be on the pill and what you shouldn't shouldn't do. It's just here is the information. Here's the real, honest information, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I think, um, and I and I know you agree that we just haven't been informing women enough on the full spectrum of information in well, regards and, and to
2: discussing the root cause which you keep referring to right. which I think mm-hmm. is so important we mm-hmm. talk about that in fitness I mean every time someone asks a question to one of us I'm sure they get tired of always hearing depends yeah totally us, right I mean that's always our answer first is well it depends and then trying to help them get to the root cause and not just to address the, the symptom yeah. right
3: mm-hmm.
1: well yeah thank you very very much for coming on the yeah. show yeah, yeah thanks awesome. so much for that having was, me it's been great. a great
3: conversation this went really fast you guys <laughs> yeah. and also like you guys you gotta go check this out on youtube because i am so lily tomlin right now sitting in this giant chair (laughs) and you don't want to miss out on that (laughs) i look like this little tiny kid i love that
1: (laughs) thank you thanks again
3: yeah thank thank you you. thank
0: you for listening to mind pump if your goal is to build and shape your body dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance check out our discounted rgb super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com